Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of It's Easy Sun, your life lessons on your journey to your purpose. And with me today is what we call a Fortison brother, a gentleman that I've known now for, man, I can't even count. But it's going to be a good discussion. As always, I, I don't give too much at the start. My guest knows that I don't speak a lot during these sessions. And um, based on the questions that I ask, pretty much open-ended, their responses will garner derivative questions and we'll go from there. So this gentleman has an expansive career and currently holds a very, very important job. If you could see me, I'm wearing my Jamaica colors with um, the coat of arms and the whole nine yards on it because uh, this gentleman I've known ever since I was a young man. We, we kind of went to the same high school together and has just grown up over time. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome to the podcast this week, uh, Mr. Donovan White. Uh, Donovan, how are you, sir? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. It's, it's fantastic to be on your show. I've listened to so many of your, of your podcasts over the, over the last several weeks and months, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing with your listeners today. Okay, well, like all the other guests, we will jump right in. It's, I, I consider it an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, not because you're a friend and Kingston College fellow alum and someone who um, is the mover and shaker, as I would say, and doing wonderful things, expensive portfolio, plus what you do in the community. So sh this should be a good conversation. So with that, let's just get started. As I do with all my guests, you know, tell us who is Donovan White and what grounds him, his early years coming up, and, um, and, and what, what makes Donovan White Donovan White? Um, that's always, uh, as you know, that's always a hard question for anyone, right? Because you, you want to start in so many different places, but the truth is the only place you can truly start is at the start. Um, and so, you know, I grew up from humble beginnings um, uh, from East Kingston, uh, grew up with spent most of my early years um, living with my dad and my two sisters um, off Wynwood Road uh, on Outlook Avenue to be exact, to be even more exact, number 12, Outlook Avenue. Um, you know, uh, went to Maxfield Park Primary uh, and as did all my sisters uh, and all my brothers as well. And then from there went to Kingston College, um, which also where all my brothers went and where I made more brothers like yourself. Um, and life just took over after that. You know, we became adults. Um, I, I was involved in sports heavily, you know, did track and field for, for Kingston College uh, for pretty much all my life there. And after school, you know, should have gone on to scholarship in the university in university in the US. Injuries prevented that for a substantive part. Um, decided to start my career early, um, went to work, went to work, went to school at the same time and kind of, you know, worked my way through school. Um, lost my dad pretty early. Uh, he was a influential part of my of my upbringing and who I am today has a lot to do with him. Lost him when I was 14 and felt like I'd learned everything I needed to know in life by the time he left me. Um, my mom had a slightly different path uh, with us. You know, she was more involved with um, 
you know, she had bars and pubs and um, places of entertainment. So she was out at nights mostly. So we didn't spend a lot of time with mom until I got older. And, um, you know, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. But, um, but essentially, my, my early years was um, truly formed and nurtured um, by my dad. And like I said, who I am today and how I, my perspectives on life have a lot to do with um, the teachings of my father at a very early age. So that's kind of, you know, my, my upbringing uh, centered in the church. Was an Anglican, is an Anglican, um, and you know also, you know have a lot of beliefs in 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 how my life is today. That comes from also the teachings of of the church and the Bible. Um, also have some 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 of my own feelings about what what's right and what's wrong. You know has has a lot to do with the philosophies of. Of some of those teachings, you know. So, I think I've had a, a fairly rounded upbringing. Um, if if I could change anything, it probably would be um, that I would have been the earlier brother to one of my brothers because we had a we had a kind of a very competitive youth, and so and he was older, so he was stronger, he was faster, he was everything else that I wanted to be. And so I always wanted, wondered what would have happened if I had born four years earlier and he was four years later, you know? So, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, it's always just fun thinking about those years and, um, you know, it makes you smile in, in so many different ways. You know? Yeah, you said something that's interesting though, um, that cuts against the grain that we see today. Because, you know, you said your relationship and your early years were honed and nurtured by your father. But in our contemporary society today, it's almost the opposite. Yeah. Um, so in your mind, um, you know, they always say sons need to have dads and things of that nature. But looking at your story in terms of your dad being such a heavy influence in your life, do you see the teachings that he uh, imparted on you or in you helps drive you. Cause you do a lot of things we'll talk about down a little bit further on in the discussion of what you do in the community and you serving others. But when you juxtapose your early years with your dad and compare that to what you see today with young men and um, lacking guidance and discipline, do you see that something is missing versus the way your dad relationship with you was and what you see with young people today? Absolutely. Um, but my, my, my dad, uh, you know, and let me, let me just say up front, I mean, he wasn't a perfect human being because nobody is. Um, but what he was, right. was the kind of person that you could have a conversation with, that you almost felt that you could tell him anything, whatever it was, and he was going to figure out you know, help you to figure out a solution or, or find you a solution. Um, my dad was a dentist um, and he worked a lot in the communities. He had his own private practice, but he had small practices in the rural Jamaica. So he would have, he would, on weekends, he would drive to whether it's Portland or St. Mary or St. Thomas 
or St. Catherine in the hills of St. Catherine to, to, to take care of uh, people that couldn't come to him. Um, mm. And it was something that he, he would take myself and one of my sisters mostly with, on him, with him on those trips. And I think the lesson he was trying to, to impart was that, you know, never feel too big that you can't, you know, give back to the community, that you can't reach out to those who are less fortunate or is unable to help themselves. Um, and so for him, that was his way of just being part of the community, but more importantly, being of service to the community. And it was an important lesson for me because apart from the fact that it taught me the meaning of, you know, valuing what you have and sharing what you have, it also helped me to see Jamaica and see people in different um, parts of Jamaica, how they live, how they survive. Um, as a kid, I mean, I couldn't have been more than 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Um, so, but it made an impression. Um, and, and, and like you said, we'll talk more about some of the things I do today in the communities, but a lot of, a lot of what, you know, I got from, from those experiences, which, were, which are still vivid in my mind, is the importance of, of sharing and the importance of being part of the community, no matter what you do. So well said. So your early years are grounded and shaped and you're, you're this up and coming young person and you, you make your way through elementary school, primary school. What, what, you, I think you mentioned that, but what was your early academic and, and uh, let's say learnings coming up? What was that like? Um, it, I, I've, I've, I've been one of those, I think, people who learn fairly quickly. Um, math gave me a hell of a hard time for a long time. Um, even when I matriculated from the primary school system to the, to the secondary school system, um, I mean, I got good, great grades, but math was always a challenge. Um, you know, I think up to probably about age 17, 18, when I was getting ready to do CXCs, I, I struggled with math. And then something, something flipped and math became easy. <laughs> that the year before I did CXC for some reason. I don't know if it was the extra classes. I don't know if it was me doing something different or applying a different methodology or just learning some, some of the fundamentals over. And then it became, you know, fairly, fairly, fairly easy. But um, beyond that, I mean, I, I've, I've been, I've been, you know, involved in beyond high school. I've been involved. I, I studied um, business. Um, like I said, I worked and worked my way through school, um, did my studies, um, you know, long distance learning uh, with the University of New Orleans um, and, you know, got my degree, you know, went on to do um, several other um, post, 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 post-grad um, certification programs um, all the way up to the MBA level. So for me, you know, education has been a key part of, of, of obviously my development and, and, 
and, and pretty much all all of the all of us professionals. But for for me, education is more than that. It really is. It's a pathway to 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 everything you 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 aspire to be, because without it, you know, you you are you're in a place where your choices are limited. Your ability to mentor and to influence and to provide inspiration. Um, you know, is 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 not as augmented as it could be. Um, so, for, so the education mean those things to me means more to me from that perspective than what I do today. Because what I've what I've I can tell you, and I'm sure you've heard this before yourself. I've I've lived it. You know, half of the things you learn in 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 university or even in school before university, you never use them in the business place. You know. Right. Yeah, what what happens is in the business place is about um, day-to-day life and it's about experiences and putting those experiences together in a body of work um, on that journey that allows you to make decisions and allows you to um, to to guide and and, and and allow others to 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 develop alongside you that's what business is about it's not about x and y's and and, and equals and plus and minuses it's really about your ability to make sound decisions um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and live by those decisions by taking accountability. And yeah. when, when, we don't, when we don't do those things, then we have poor leadership, we have poor management and poor businesses. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a reason why I asked that question because uh, we have had many conversations in our group chats and yeah. our Kingston College group chats and everything else. The term student athlete sometimes is seen as an oxymoron, but I, I, we'll get to that. We'll weave that in as well. So Kingston yeah. College, you get to Kingston College and you are a track and field star at Kingston College, class three, 400 meter champion and the whole nine yards. Walk us through Kingston College and what Kingston College meant to you and what it mean, means to you today and, and how do you see it um, and what it represents and stands for even to this day? Yeah, KC for me um, initially meant I I got to carry on a tradition um, of my brothers and and his friends and and a few other family members because they all went to KC. But getting there, you know, like any other youngster who who walks through the the gates of of KC, as you know, it's it's a humbling experience because you immediately are amongst men who have, um, you know, given to society in a way that makes you go, wow, that makes you stop and say, I wonder if one day I'll be able to, to, to be like that or to give like that or to inspire like that. And so I think from an early, from an early stage, at Casey, we all learn the importance of, of, of understanding the history and owning that history, meaning that um, you are part now of a long tradition of, of great men who have walked through this door. And you can either uh, you know, be ordinary or you can be extraordinary. Um, yeah. And, and most of us choose to be extraordinary, not in a bad way, uh, but it's our way mm-hmm. of, of ensuring that we leave that legacy behind us. Um, Casey, for me, even today, 
Um, well, before I get to today, track and field was, you know, something that I, I grew into. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a, a, a brilliant runner in primary school at all. Um, but really? then when I got to, yeah, I wasn't. I, I, I ran at primary champs, didn't make finals in anything. Um, I was a bit on the chubby side as a, as a younger kid. But then when I got to I grew like three and a half inches in like eight months. Um, I, I, I just grew. I got skinny and I just lengthened. And that, and then I started to, you know, I was still doing sports. I played football, I did PE and stuff. But I started to realize that I was getting a little better. I mean, I was better than I was last year. And, you know, went out for the track team and um, George Thompson um, who was the sports master at Casey at the time, um, you know, a, a great, absolutely great human being um, in so many ways, uh, you know, saw me, uh, he, he said, come and try out. My PE teacher said, go over and, and talk to Mr. Thompson and check out the track team. And I did. Um, ran with people now who are my really, really close friends like Errol Whittle and Martin Dawes and Dennis Mowat and, Raymond Blake and those guys, Bernardo Henry, we all kind of was in that group. And, um, and he said, he came to me the evening after practice and he said, you have some talent, you know, you should, you should try and come to training every day. And I said, really? And, you know, uh, spark up friendships with Errol and Martin, and, you know, everybody felt, yeah, man, you look good. And, and then I just, I kept coming. My first year uh, was a rough year was probably my most embarrassing year. Um, that year at Gibson Relays, um, I was on a four-by-one team with uh, Martin was lead off, Errol Whittle was backstretch, Dennis Moore was on the third leg, and I was anchor. But I had a really pretty form. You know, I, 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 I must say that. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was endowed with form. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and... Um, Got, got the baton um, some, some maybe 10, 15 meters ahead. And, um, and we lost the race. Uh, I was caught on the line by um, Kirk, Kirk Dyer, Kirkpatrick Dyer from JC, who is actually you know, my really good friend. Um, and it was embarrassing. It was on TV every night. It was the montage that started the sports news. Uh, it, was, wow. it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. But... I made, a plea, I made a pitch to myself, uh, and I decided I wasn't going to give up. I, I trained right through that season. I brought my PBs down, and at the end of the season, you know, Mr. T and, and Kirky Douglas said to me, you know, we want you to start, start training in the summer and, and really put in some, some work because we feel you're going you're gonna to do some special things. I did that, and the next year, I was champion of Class 3, uh, Kirk and I were together in class three again. I, I beat Kirk a couple of times that season, which was my revenge. And, um, and the rest is history in terms of how I evolved through, through Casey doing track and field. Today, though, I must tell you that Casey, the, the friendships and brotherhood that, that the, the guys who I went to school with have is is unshakable. It's, it's a bond that um, is second to none. It is a bond of friendship that 
Uh, we understand each other. In some instances, we even finish each other's sentences because we understand, um, you know, where we're coming from and, and, and our ethos and life are almost similar. But I think more importantly, what it, what it has done, it has allowed for us, having learned what the KC um, ethos is, for us to give back to our school and to the youngsters today in a way that we were given back to by the, by, by the people ahead of us. Uh, we had help from everybody. Every old boy came back and contributed and helped us and inspired and mentored and um, give freely of themselves financially and otherwise where it was necessary. And today we do the same, um, you know, just to make sure that a young man goes to school or has food or, you know, have a shoe or have uniform or have books. Is, is important to us. And that's how we've, we, we, we've built this, this thing called Kingston College over the years. It is, it is, it is about giving back and about being, being the better person always, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, Kingston College means a lot to so many of us. You know, my, my dad was a, is a KC old boy and my older brother is a KC old boy. So Kingston College shaped, molded us, molded you, so after Kingston College, what was next for, for Donovan White? What was next uh, is, like I said, you know, injuries set in when I got to age 16, 17, 18, 19. I just couldn't shake um, hamstring injuries. And, um, and I had a bad shoulder as well. And, and it just became frustrating for me to, to train for a whole season. And then when you get down to competition, your, your sideline because your hammy is gone. So that became frustrating. So I, I think I gave up um, my, my dreams early of, of going on and, you know, probably becoming an Olympian or something like that. Uh, I gave that up. Um, and instead, I, 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 went, I went to work. I, I, I started working. I think my first job was with Hilo Food Stores, um, you know, where I, I, I was some, as a clerk or something, um, you know, just helping out at the head office, doing some, a little bit of accounts, a little bit of audit, a little bit of um, filing this and writing journals and stuff like that. Um, because I, I did accounts and I, and I liked accounts and, and they found a place for me. And, and I did that for probably a year or just over a year. Then from there, I, 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 I said, listen, I'm not going to waste any more time. I started school. Um, and, you know, I was doing, doing school between, you know, going to um, doing, doing, doing courses at UTech and, and, um, and uh, IMP and, and working as well. Worked at Gettys Grant, worked at um, NCR. Um, NCR sent me on a couple of different uh, training programs overseas. Um, you know, came back, worked there for a couple of years. Um, and then I started to, um, I finished my associate degree, um, took some time off from school. I think I took about a year off um, and then went back and finished up. Um, but during that time was still working, went into uh, fine, on the finance side with Life of Jamaica. Um, you know, so I, I, I kind of worked my way through my, my, my young 20s. Um, mm -hmm. whilst trying to get my whilst trying to get my education sorted, um, and then by the time I got to 
to into my late twenties, um, I, I I got my first management um, assignment um, with with Life of Jamaica as well, um, and then I left Life of Jamaica and went to went into media with with a uh, CVM Group um, as 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 a marketing manager, um, and that was that was an eye opener. <laughs> what was what was an eye opener because now for the first time you you're managing people um and you know you're managing people you're managing budgets you're managing um processes and um and and I'm and I'm and I'm getting all of this I'm learning all of this on the fly uh you know and boy it was great experience um because mm-hmm. it was we were the number one media house in Jamaica at the time we were very visible um so I had a I had a fairly big brand um, managing, you know? so, but that that went that went exceedingly well. Uh, I left. Uh, I spent about seven or eight years there, and when I left um, CVM, um, I think in two thousand and two thousand and four, um, I, I kind of wanted a break. I really did. Um, I had by this time my son, my son would have been about nine years old. Um, and my daughter would have been about two years old or about a year, about two years old. Um, so now I had two kids, um, but I was just, I was just so exhausted, so frustrated, wanted to, to change the careers, but couldn't decide where I wanted to go. And I thought the best way to do this was to, was to, um, was to get a break. Um, I also wanted to, by that time, I was being bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. So I was thinking about going into, going into some kind of business on my own as well. And the only way to kind of decide what was going to work was to, was to get out and see what was out there. I could have afforded it, so I did it. Um, stayed, stayed away from the workplace for about a year. Um, uh, focused on the kids, really. And, um, and just trying to find my way. Did some consulting work you know, a couple of different small entities and, and that kind of worked well and kind of opened my eyes up some more to, to, to what's out there in the real world. And then, you know, during that time, Jamaica was going through a telecoms re- revolution, uh, the likes of which, you know, we've never, we, we've never seen before. Uh, I saw it from the, having worked in media, I was able to work with them from the inception but from the outside, uh, I had some really good friends, good business colleagues who worked with 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 the with the, the, the new entrant into into Jamaica at the time, which was, was Digicel, uh, and they were building real fast. And I remember getting a call from a friend, a real great, real great friend of mine, uh, who was a marketing manager there. Her name is Heather Heather Shield. She's now Heather. Um, Heather Goldson, uh, and Heather rang me one day and said, "Hey Donovan, what 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 you're up to? I see you're not at CV anymore." I said, "No, I'm not actually." And she said, "You know what what are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm, I haven't decided yet, but I'm I'm, I'm really thinking." Oh, and she said, "Why don't you why don't you consider coming to Digicel?" And I said, um, "I really never thought of it. I, I wasn't excited about working." In Digicel Jamaica because it was just it was just too crammed too it, it was it was just of another world um, but she said no 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 not not Jamaica we're 
we're acquiring some new um, networks in the Eastern Caribbean and we need some good people to, to manage that transition and, and, and bring the brand forward. And I thought about it long and hard and, um, and I made a decision and I took the plunge and I went and I worked with Digicel from 2005 um, in the Eastern Caribbean, managing across about six different countries, um, uh, transitioning, taking all the brands from, at the time Digicel had just bought the singular brand, uh, in, in St. Kitts, St. Kitts and Nevis, Antigua and Barbuda, Dominica, um, St. Lucia, all those, all those Eastern Caribbean countries. And they, they needed a strong team to, to, to transition those brands from singular to digital and to, um, and to move the, and to move the market share, you know, in every market. And so I spent two and a half years um, in the Eastern Caribbean working with those brands and, and getting them set, launched, um, uh, and, and growing, growing our market share um, in those markets over those years. And then I moved from there to Guyana. Again, wow. same situation. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> they bought a company called U-Mobile uh, in Guyana, which had like 10% market share. And they needed somebody to, to, to lead the team down there and to, and to, um, to transition the brand and, and grow market share. And I spent two, just two, two and a, almost two and a half years there as well. Um, and when I left, they were like 60% market share. So I think I did my job there. Uh, and then I came home after Guyana, came back to Jamaica uh, with Digicel, spent some time with them here in Jamaica. Um, you know, again, we were going through a different kind of transition at that time because more competition was coming into the marketplace. And it was, it was a different kind of competition now because now you had four mobile operators in Jamaica um, and market share was being, was being splintered and, and, and getting fragmented. So it was about augmenting the brand and really um, owning the, the market, you know. So, so did that, left, left again. So I did about seven years with Digicel, left, took another year off. Uh, went, when I came back out, I, was, I, went, I went back into telco with another competitor um, called Flo. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> I, 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 I feel like I like the pain, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Worked with Flow for about two and a half years, and then they got acquired by Cable Wireless, who was another competitor in the marketplace. Uh, and they asked me, as part of a team, to manage the transition of that merger. Um, so I spent better part of a year, or a year and a half, uh, traveling from Kingston to Miami uh, four days a week, every week for about a year. Um, working on the transition team that was, that was working the merger between Cable and Wireless and Flow. And then when that was done, they gave me the business side of the operation in Jamaica to, 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 to be, to be the, 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 um, the general manager for. So, um, so that's been my telco life. Um, and then after, after Cable and Wireless, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to, I've always said that I wanted to give some of my public um, some of my career time to, to public sector, uh, you know, the tourism uh, sector 
minister, you know, reached out uh, through his team. Um, and, you know, they invited me to join the team. We had some great conversations. Um, I felt it was a great fit for me and for what I wanted to do. Um, and here I am today, director of tourism and um, trying to trying to rebuild an industry post-COVID. So that's kind of been my the short version of my long career. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you and I knew some of the moves, but not all of the mini moves, if you will. But right. you know, I asked all of my guests this question and you just gave us the answer, but I have to ask it anyhow, because this podcast is really around about inspiring young people and young professionals who, by the way, are in this COVID moment that they might feel a sense of hopelessness and you know, things are not going their way. It's too hard. It's too tough. The question I always ask is, when you look back on your career and where you are thus far and where you are today, was it a straight line? I know the answer, but I want to hear you <laughs> give your answer or your version of it. it. Is there a straight line from point A to point B to say, hey, I wanted to get from here to here and I did it? Because what happens nine times out of 10, people see the end product and the job or the role that you have, but they really don't know the sacrifices, the pain and all the things that you go through in order to get there. So is there a straight line or, or was there some meanderings that took place? Yeah, I, if there's a straight line, I don't, I don't know it. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the ups and downs, the peaks and valleys, the, the heartaches, the disappointments, um, the highs, the lows, the joys, it, it's all mixed into the journey. You know, we, we all go through, you know, cycles of, 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 of moments when, you know, you never get, I, I, I've learned in my, my experience uh, that I, I never get too high on any situation, on any win, any, any great moment. And I never get too low on any disappointment. I, I've learned the art of really just finding that fine line, that almost imaginary line of, of staying, staying calm, even when, irrespective of what's happening around me. I think part of it was, uh, was due to, I think, an illness that I, that I was diagnosed with in 2001. Um, I was diagnosed with skin lupus or discoid lupus. Mm. Um, wow. And what it is, is it's, um, you know, the skin is the largest organ of the body. And right. the, what, what discoid lupus does is if, you're, if you are ever in extreme state of stress, um, the, the manifestations of it is that you, you break out, your skin gets to be um, blatchy and um, itchy, um, your scalp and stuff like your ears. Um, and how, how I discovered it was I was going through a very stressful period in my life and, um, I started to have these blatches in my, on my face and my ears, my legs and my back. I, I, I couldn't explain what it was. I didn't know what it was. And I went to see the dermatologist and he, um, he looked at me and he looked at it and he, he, he said, you know, Donovan, I think I know what it is, but I want us to do a biopsy, um, just to be sure. And we did the biopsy, we did my blood work and stuff. And, and for sure it was, it was discoid lupus. But he, he, he taught me um, immediately um, uh, on diagnosis that 
the first thing that I had to learn to do is I had to learn to manage my stress. And I had to, and I had to be committed to it because it's, it's not something that's, it's going to go away. It's in fact, it, 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 there's a 5% chance that it could, it could actually develop into systemic lupus now, which is where all your organs are, are, are susceptible to the, to the, to the, um, to the disease. Um, and so I, I, I have been able to, to, to learn how to manage my highs and lows because I had this, this, this health concern for myself that I didn't want to, to, to have to deal with in mm-hmm. a negative way. And so uh, that has helped me um, a lot. But I think more than anything else, in addition to that, uh, is really just being humble um, and recognizing that, you know, there's nothing, nothing is put down there for anyone. Nothing is made for anyone. You got to work for it. You, you, you have to, you have to put time in, you have to um, give respect where respect is due. You have to pay attention to detail. Um, and, and you have to give thanks and you have to, you know, um, you know, be respectful of, of elders, be respectful of God and understand that there's a greater power above us that that is in control of all things. And if you, if you ever get to the place where you, you lose control of, of those things, then your life is in turmoil. And if you think about it, most people who are, who are in turmoil, um, they, they've, they've lost control of some, some, some balancing, some, balance, some of the balancing beams in their lives that is causing their, their situation to be in turmoil. And if you, if, you, if you stop for a minute and just step back from it and ask yourself the question, what am I not doing? What have I not done? You know, what could I do differently? If you ask yourself those three questions, usually you get the answers. You just have mm-hmm. to be brave enough to, to listen to those answers and act on them. You know, it's very interesting. And, and I'm learning this today, but I have to now ask you this question. When I look at your time and I know what you do, you're president of a football club, a very prominent football club. You're the director of tourism. And we want to talk a little bit about what you're trying to do there because the Jamaica we grew up in, especially me living in the States, is not the Jamaica I know now. So that's, that's right. going to be something I want to ask you about. But you do so much in terms of giving back. Um, you know, the football club, it's, um, I think it's Waterhouse Football Club. You're the president that's there. Right. And you're doing all these things in the community. The job that you have is a very, very demanding job. So hearing what you just said, how do you manage your time to get all of these things done? <laughs> um, that's, that's a great question, uh, Jerry. Uh, the <clears throat> it, it really is down to satisfying your soul. Uh, more than anything else. Um, and what I mean by that, um, I mean that you can't do everything every day. You can't do all the things you want to do in a given day. But if you prioritize, if you, if you allow yourself to um, structure your, your responsibilities in a way that you can give um, the attention to detail um, in getting them done uh, routinely on a daily basis. Um, you know, it, it, 
it you find that it it becomes it becomes part of what you do and so it almost happens instinctively um i i i don't do anything that's forced um it's it's just just part of my 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 will or or who i am if i have to force to do something i'd rather not do it mm. um so anything i do must be coming from the I'm, i must be doing it because um i i i either love doing it um i really want to do it or it means something to me and so um from that perspective um you know what i do in for football from a community standpoint is is not even so much jerry for for the football as it is for for the people that it serves waterhouse football club is a community football club um they 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 they, they meaning the community depend on the success of this team for them to be positive about life believe it or not wow um the, these young men we have we have teams from from on the nine to to the senior senior men's team um most of these youngsters are if if they didn't have football they'd be involved in some kind of crime violence activity or you know otherwise occupied maybe not in a positive way um and and so football for them is is a savior football for them is is an outlet for them to do good not just do good for the community but do good for themselves because a lot of them have come through the system and football has sent them to school it has sent them to college it has allowed them to get contracts in overseas professional clubs it now allows them to earn a salary from Waterhouse Football Club for the senior players who are playing in the Premier League which is a professional the pro league in Jamaica um so it has become part of the economic um structure of a community uh that it serves and for that reason um you know the the youngsters are able to take care of their families you know buy medication for their parents for their sick sisters and brothers pay for school fee you know uh, buy food put food on the table you know it 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 has become a real um need uh, that must be resolved and and i take that seriously because that means if if we who are the management team at waterhouse which includes my good friend bruce bitnell from tankwell and a, and and several other um you know major partners that we've brought along with us if we don't continue to do what we do and by the way there are other people like us who do the same <clears throat> for other communities across jamaica but if we don't do what we do we're going to lose our men we're going to lose our boys yeah. um and we're we're going to lose them to the wrong things and so for me that 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 is that's urgent um i have a son of my own and um you know i i know the pain i went through when i thought i was going to lose him you know a couple of years back uh as a teenager because he was you know going on the wrong path mm. and i know how much pain and 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 sleepless night and anguish and and mental stress uh and 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 hard fight that that i went through and, and he went through with me 
to, to get him back on the right path. You know, so I, 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 and it makes me wonder uh, all the time if, if some of these youngsters don't have what I was able to do for my son, how are they making it? You know, and so that's what the football club means, means to me. And that's what it means to the community. And that's why I, I'm always so passionate about, about sport, about, about sport, period, because sport serves so many kids right across the world. Yeah, but, but specifically in my instance about my Waterhouse football club. Um, and, and, and in a way, you know, it's also part of, you know, how we also gave back to Casey. You know, when I left Casey um, and I was, you know, almost finished studying, I went back to Casey to coach and to mentor and to, to help as best as I could, you know, with people like Lennox Graham, who has been part of your show before, Calvin Lewis and, and, and so many of the other guys who have, who, have, who have served the school well, but served youth and youth development well. And that, that's, what, that's what it means to me, um, Jerry. You know, it's, it's, it's a passion that I've, that I've, that I, that I have, and and you know, no matter what I do, I, I can't seem to to quench that passion because it, it, there's always a, another kid to help. Well, you know, Donovan, I can tell you, I sit here in the states, and I read the papers, I listen to your your thought leadership around the Premier League and how to make it work, and listening to you here now talking about the mentoring aspect for our young men in Jamaica and youngsters in general throughout the community, some of the more economically challenged community. I wanna take what you're just, your discussion just now and tie it to the role that you have today. You have a major role in the island. Um, you have to create an aura, an atmosphere around our cherished beloved homeland. And what you just described is, an, is a portion of the existence there. So as you think about Jamaica and you think about this exceptional place that many of us call home, when you look at those two polar opposites, how, do, how does that inform what you do in your role as the director of tourism? It, it, it is, it's the same passion, but channeled differently. Um, Tour, tourism is our, it's our number one industry. Um, it's our economic driver. It provides, um, in terms of direct uh, earnings, it provides something like 10, 9.5% to our GDP. Um, when you take in the induced as well as the direct contributions to GDP, it's about a third, about 34% of our GDP. Wow. Um, it employs... Uh, directly about 150, 170,000 um, Jamaicans as an industry. Um, when you add the, the induced from the linkages to the industry, you're probably talking about 350,000 workers who are employed because tourism happens. Uh, when you put that all together and you begin to understand um, the, 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 the economic value of tourism, forget the beauty of the country, forget the beautiful hotels and white sanded beaches and, and all the fantastic um, attractions and places to go and so on. The economic value to 350,000 Jamaicans 
is is what's at stake. Mm. Because if we are not able to keep those people employed and uh, being able to earn a living, to feed their families and to do their businesses privately um, and support the economy in terms of the, the, the revolving economy, uh, then we, we, we are in trouble. Um, and, and those are just the facts. I mean, you, 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 you know, lots of people like to spin the facts in many different ways. I just like to say it as it is because it's what it is. Um, yeah. And so my job is to, through the tourist board, is to work with um, uh, our partners and our, um, our the people we have business relationships with in faraway places, including the United States, uh, to, to, to build that capacity to continue to grow our tourism product by way of increasing the, the number of people who vacation or holiday in Jamaica, but, but more importantly, to, to ensure that when they come to Jamaica, that they, have a, they are able to enjoy an experience uh, that is worthy of their, um, their spending their, um, their incremental dollars on their vacation here in Jamaica, which then goes into the circular economy of the country. Um, it, it, is, it is a challenging, um, a very challenging job, as you can imagine. Tourism is a big industry. Um, and, you know, I'm only one of, of, of many senior executives across the business who, uh, you know, participate and, and work very closely with the Ministry of Tourism um, from our policy level to ensure that we are, are we are always on the cutting edge of, of, of what what drives uh, visitor interest um, and what makes people decide you know to go one place versus the next and to always ensure that from a from a marketing standpoint that we are properly appointed and properly influenced. Um, in, in the places where we need to be to change minds and to influence decisions as to when people decide to spend their money, where they're going to spend it. Is it going to be Jamaica? Uh, so, so that's what the job does. But, but again, you know, again, part of, part of my interest and, and the love affair that I've developed with the industry uh, comes from my love of people and, um, and, and my love for seeing people succeed. Mm-hmm. And when you when you um, when you when you've had the opportunity to to go to you know just about all the tourism entities and spaces in Jamaica, and you see the glee and absolute pleasure that the people who work across this industry um, give to it, uh, we have designed over the last three years something we call the Golden Tourism Award. And we do it every December. And what it is, is that we award persons who have given 50 years or more to the industry. 50 years or more. Five first zero. Year, five zero. Wow. The first year we did it, we had something like 45 awardees. What? <laughs> wow. 45. And the second year we had 39. Um, these are people who have given their lives to this thing called tourism in Jamaica in, in different spaces. There, is the, there are butlers, there are um, red cap men, there are raftsmen, there are 
um, housekeepers, they are front desk people, they are hotel managers, they are uh, maitre d's, they are uh, drivers, they are, I mean, these are people, they're, they're, they're um, crafts, people who, who, who do wick a craft and, and sell their wares in the, in the craft market. But what's important, Jerry, is that in every one of these individuals, when you speak to them, they'll tell you that out of their 50 odd years or 60 odd years, in some cases, that they've given to this industry, they've been able to send their children to school. Lots of their kids are now doctors and lawyers and, and, and gone on to be great professionals. Um, they've sent their grandkids to school and, and they're still doing it happily. They're not doing it for the money. Um, now they're doing it because it's, a, it's, it's been part of their life. And so that's the, that's the, that's the, the power and the, the metal that the people that I represent as the director of tourism, I have to be always be grounded by that, knowing that whatever we do, um, we have to do it well because these people are extremely dependent upon ensuring that our tourism product remains viable and remains vibrant. Wow, that, that is awesome. 50 plus years, that's, that's beyond dedication. But I want to ask you a question this way, because we have about 10 minutes left. Yeah. And I've listened to your story today. I, I know of your passion for young people. You have a passion. Well, I'll say it this way. Listening to you speak today on this podcast in a focused way now makes me understand why almost every topic in our group chat that comes up about others, you are so passionate about it. It could be, <laughs> it could be track. It could be your Manchester United. It could be anything. You always have an opinion, but your opinion always pivots back to the people. Yeah. So in this time, COVID impacted time, we have people who are anxious, people who are, are you know having some challenges economically they had economic challenges before covid now it's only exacerbated so at the end of the day you could imagine that there's a lot of anxiety stress and and quite honestly some people feel hopeless so yeah. i'm going to ask you similar to what i've asked all of my guests is if you had your druthers and you could speak to young people and folks going through this moment what words of inspiration and comfort do you think you could share um, to give them a different lens through which to view current day happenings? You know, um, Jerry, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna use I'm gonna use the example of my of my own um, family uh, to see if I could answer your question, um, and I'm gonna start with my wife. Um, I've, I don't think I've known, uh, a more resilient human being, um, than, than her. And, I, and, and, and why it's relevant to the question about COVID is, uh, my wife, for those of, for those of your listeners who, who doesn't know her, uh, is Patrice White and she's one of the most, uh, 
um, sought after um, life coach and, and physical trainer um, online today. And it is the online piece that makes this story or make this answer to your question. When COVID started, um, like everybody else, every, especially um, those people who are self-employed, like she is, um, went into panic. Um, what's going to happen? How, how does this work? Um, you know, people can't come and see you. You know, um, you have to reduce your numbers, social distancing. In some instances, you got closed. Businesses are going upended. Um, and like anybody else, like any other human being, she, she panicked. I mean, we all did. Um, and she, she took a step back from it, um, you know, with the help of her, of, her, of her own, you know, people who she talked to and listens to and, and a little bit from me, I hope. Um, <laughs> you know, she, she, she stepped back and she, she found another way because she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let my business fail. I have to find a way to to do my business. And if 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 COVID is going to be here, then there has to be another way for me to reach out and help people um, to do my business. And 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 here came her virtual her, vir her business is now almost a hundred percent virtual. Yeah, where almost a hundred percent of her clients come to her virtually, and she has had more clients than she had before COVID. Um, and you know, it, it really does show that, um, as they say, you never waste, um, a, a, a disappointment or, or, or waste a, a situation, a good, price, a good crisis, a, a good, a crisis. Exactly. Um, there's always a way up. And, 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 and so that's one example. The other example I'll give is my, is my, my, my daughter who, just did A-levels, um, you know, did exams during COVID, um, totally frustrated, you know, wasn't sure that she was, she was going to be prepared enough, lost her class time. Um, you know, these kids are doing um, sciences because she wants to go in the medical stream. Um, worried about whether or not she was going to get in, accepted to university and just totally stressed out, completely stressed out. Mm -hmm. um, and as parents, your instincts chip in and you, 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 you get to work because now you have to be counseling every day. You have to be mentoring. You have to be motivating. You have to be inspiring. You have to be being, trying to drive calm, trying to just find every ounce of, every ounce of, of energy to, to pass on to them so that they will we'll find strength in that and, and, and grab onto it and pull. Um, she came through her, her, her A-levels, got them all, got accepted into medicine and, and is now, you know, looking back and saying to me, you know, Daddy, it, it hasn't been easy and I had no idea that I would have gotten through this. I know I'm in first year of university and I feel like I have this down pat. Wow. And I'm like... <laughs> What? You have this story. You have what known parts? Right. She says, "Yeah, I feel like I'm 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 in a comfortable place. I feel, I'm I'm in control. I don't feel rushed. I don't feel like I'm not managing. You know, I'm, and and I'm going. You know, God is good. You know, but it, those those situations really makes me. The other one is my son. As I, I did say, my family. 
And yeah. I mentioned it earlier. My son found himself in a really bad situation um, when he was about 17. He's now 25. Um, and he found himself in bad company, doing the wrong things, going on the wrong road, um, getting addicted to, to marijuana and all kinds of other stuff. And we went through a period, himself and my mother, his mother and, and myself went through a period of just um, trying to work with him in a way that, that you know, allowed him to, to, to come through his difficulty without clobbering him, without ostracizing him, um, you know, but giving him love and motivation and, and always just listening and allowing him to, to express himself, but at the same time being able to, 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 to shun the stuff out that you don't need. And let me tell you, um, I, I, had, I had one incident with him one night when I had to give him some tough love. And, um, and he got the message after about five hours. And two weeks after that, he went to church. And two weeks after that, he got baptized. And my son has been a model kid um, since then. Um, and about to graduate from university. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it, 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 what I, the point is that there's never a point that is too low that you can't recover. Um, if you think about it, if you, if, you are, if you test yourself at the point when you're about to break is the point when you're, when you're the strongest. Um, mm. It sounds contradictory, but it's actually true. If, if, you, if, 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 if you get to the point where you're about to break and you just hang on for just another second, Mm -hmm. you'll realize that you're, you're at the strongest point because that's the point that you need to pull up. Um, you know, because survival is key and we all have to survive. So well, that, 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 if anything else, would, would, be, would be what I, what I would say in relation to speaking to our youth today. Well, I'll tell you this much. You said more than enough because that, those three stories are very powerful because at the end of the day, and you said it best, when you're at... You know, that, that old saying, when you're at the end of a rope, tie a knot and hold on. <laughs> yep. But, yep. Um, that was that was very impressive. But I will say this, though. I, I, I met Pat. You guys came to the pen relays was the first time I met her. If you right. can just tell her for me that my wife follows her on Instagram and I watch, <laughs> I watch the, the, the workouts and I do feel sorry for Elephant Man sometimes. I really do. Uh, but she, she, is, she, she she's not too far from me, and but I'll, I'll definitely give her that message for you. <laughs> yeah, make make sure you give her that message. My wife and I, I I I message her on Facebook. Say if I'm ever in Jamaica, I'd want to stop by and, and work out one time, just one time, <laughs> just, just one, one time. time. <laughs> Donovan, listen, we are at an we're right at time, and I want to say you know thank you so much. You know we're in our our group chat, we we talk all the time, but as you guys know, we're trying with this podcast to reach young people and young yeah. professionals. I was sharing with another guest earlier today that it's interesting to me that I'm an accountant and now I'm being asked to come and speak on my book and this podcast and what we're trying to do. So it tells me that the guests that we have on and the things that we do is reaching people. And now we're yeah. moving into an international space, if you could believe that. So. With your story today, sir, I know it's going to resonate, especially with young people in Jamaica, young professionals, because at the end of the day, it's, it's all about what you have been doing and you continue to do. So I thank you, sir, for 
gracing me with your time today and letting you know it's greatly appreciated. Jerry, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure and um, it's always great to to connect with my with my brother um, because that's what you are to me. All right, thank you so much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for this week's episode of It's Easy Son. We've spent the last hour with Mr. Donovan White, a very powerful story and some very powerful testimonies that we can all hold on to, process and look at through a different lens as we move from this station in life to the promise and purpose that the good Lord above has for us. So until next week, remember it's easy son, life lessons on your journey to your purpose, and we'll see you next week. And until then, be safe and be the best person that you can be. Take care.